Welcome back to Outside the System. In this episode, I spoke with Lyra, a musician and product designer doing some really interesting work at the intersection of NFTs, smart contracts, and music. We got into her journey, products she's built for musicians in the past, her thoughts on NFTs and music, and a lot more. And by the way, her music is really good. My favorites are Slow Down and the Taken remix she did with Autograph. So make sure you check that out and follow her on Spotify. If you found value in this episode, you can support Outside the System on Fountain or any other value-for-value enabled podcast player. Let's get into the episode. Lyra, thanks for joining me today. Hello, hello. I'm super excited for this conversation. I feel like we've been talking about it for a few weeks. Um, I've been following you for, I think, a few years because we have some mutual friends, I think, or maybe some of my friends shared your work and I was like, oh, this sounds really cool. But lately, I've been paying attention to you because you've been doing some really cool stuff with Web3 and music, um, which obviously we're going to talk about today. But before we dive into all that, would love for you to just introduce who you are, your background, kind of how you got where you were. And uh, yeah, we can go from there. Well, I'll say my real name is Kathleen. In this podcast, I'll be both identities. <laughs> and Lyra is my artist project that I put out music under. And yeah, how that got started. So, I mean, I've always been making music. Like when I was a kid, I played piano from the time I was three. Actually, no teacher would take me on as a three-year-old. My dad had to convince a piano teacher to take on both of us, and she agreed to then teach me that way. And so music has always been my life and, you know, singing at church and was in a band in high school. And then got to college, and I was not a tech person at all. But I wanted to build a site actually for musicians at college, like connecting musicians and venues. And so that was the first thing that got me into tech. I didn't know what a startup was. I I actually remember I took a very academic approach with it. And I had a binder where I was like writing out the definitions of HTML and CSS and just trying to teach myself. But through trying to create that site, I started meeting other people making things. And so... Though I was making music, I was slowly finding myself deep into the tech world. And I mean, we can really get into it, but dropped out of college at one point to work on a startup, um, came back to teach myself design and actually have, you know, the years dedicated towards uh, just having the time to teach myself skills. And so, yeah, college was a mix of being a nerd at hackathons and writing vocal EDM top lines. (laughs) And so that's kind of the start of it. And then um, after college, I worked for a startup called Gumroad. Um, so I was making tools for creators. And I was still making music all this time. I then worked at another startup after that and then finally joined Facebook. Um, and I was doing design at all these companies. And when I joined Facebook, it was also with the goal of like transparently making more money so that I could afford studio time and start to record myself. And yeah, so during my time there, I actually started putting out music. And so now it's been, I think it's been for the last three years that I've been putting out my own music. And now the world of Web3, (laughs) which kind of marries both worlds of tech, design, and music. So uh, before I go any further, what was the startup that you... You, did you, you founded that startup? Yeah. Or? Um, I wasn't a co-founder. I was technically the first employee. 
Yeah, so it was an app for our college campus. It was like a one-stop shop, you know, information about your classes, professors, a school ball, which was really a party finder. And so, yeah, I worked on that. I knew nothing, but I was just trying to help in every way that I could, and I was doing marketing for them. And so I was like spamming all of my large classes, trying to get them to sign up. But through working on that, and then we all moved out to the Bay Area um, and went through an accelerator program. It was through that experience that I saw how products were actually built. And I was like, oh, I want to be making them. I didn't know if I wanted to be an engineer or be a designer. I just knew that I wanted to be part of the creation process. Like that was the most exciting aspect of it. So yeah, I was trying to teach myself. First, I started with Python and I'm like, oh my God, I suck at this. (laughs) (laughs) And then I taught myself front end and taught myself design. um, And design was what, yeah, I love the most. So yeah, I'm completely self-taught in all of that. It was just through seeing it that you're like, okay, this is the path that, yeah, I feel excited about. That's awesome. And then you'd mentioned you'd built tools for creators. That was at Gumroad? Yeah. So Gumroad is, it's a site where, you know, you can be an independent creator. And if you're thinking about So a common case is you've got an author and they're trying to decide, do they put their book on Amazon or do they put it on a different site like Gumroad? And with Gumroad, you can retain your audience. Like on Amazon, you don't get to see who that customer list is, but you get control of that audience with a platform like Gumroad. And then with every launch, you can build on that. You can email the people that have purchased your previous books or products, let them know about the next one. So I built a lot of like email analytics tools um, and tools around maintaining your customer base and growing that. So it's really helped independent creators, like everything from course creators to illustrators actually make a living. And were you a creator at that time as well? Like, were you working on your own music and thinking, you know, maybe as being- Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've always been making music. I wasn't putting out music, though. But I had a different hang-up at that point. I think it was, honestly, ego. (laughs) Um, Like, I didn't yet have Lyra as an identity. And so I was making a lot of music and not putting it out. And, yeah, it- I, I could just, I could never get to the point where I was like, it's complete. Like, this is what I want to represent as my music. It would just stay in my Dropbox folders. And so, yeah, after a lot of reflection on all of that, I, I realized that I needed some other identity just for my mental state of being like, okay, this other person's going to put out music. I just happen to be writing for them and I'm that person as well. <laughs> Because in the past, I was writing for all these other artists. So I was so I was so used to being the writer and not being the artist. And I mean, I'm definitely a perfectionist. And this has allowed me to kind of decouple that and even tell myself, like, people can hate her music and it's okay because it's not me, which lately I feel like I, you know, have fused into that person. And I want to figure out how to, like, push the identity separate again just purely for like a mental health standpoint, I think it's, yeah, a really good outlet. When did you actually start releasing the music then if you just had it sitting in your Dropbox folder? Gosh, I actually, I should know this. I think it was 2018. Uh, Don't Make Me was the first song that I put out. It was November. I just don't know what year it was. Let me see. (laughs) What what year did Slow Down come come out? Oh, I put that one out last year because I wrote that during the pandemic. 
Oh, okay, 2019, I think is. Or no, no, sorry, 2018, November 2018, I put out my first song, which was terrifying. Like, was literally sick to my stomach in the days leading up to it. I felt like, I remember telling my mom that I felt like a naked photo was about to be posted of me. Like, that's how it felt. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think, I mean, as someone who, you know, worked with creators, and obviously you're one yourself, like, that is always, you know, how it feels. I mean, I'm sure, it, I'm curious how that's changed actually for you as you've done more more songs. Like, it's probably not as terrifying, but there's still Oh, probably, it's definitely gotten easier. Yeah. Yeah. But there's still probably that feeling of like, oh, is anyone going to like this? Or am I, yeah. Like, I don't know. I still get that. I wrote a book. I wrote a bunch of blog posts. I have a couple podcasts. And I still get that feeling all the time of just like, okay, yeah. It's not as bad as the first one, obviously. But there's still always that before you hit publish, you know, you're like, okay, little butterflies yes. going in the stomach. I'd say it gets easier. The first one is absolutely the hardest. But if you've gone a long while without releasing music, then it becomes harder again. So that's even been a note that I've remained conscious of that I need to keep on this cycle of releasing music because it remains easy that way. Yeah. Yeah. And for anyone listening, Lyra's music is actually really good. I was telling her before I hit record, like, like I had followed her more for some of the like Web3 stuff. And then in preparation for this, I was like, I should probably actually go to Spotify and listen and... <laughs> I've listened to it a ton over the last few days. It's actually really, really good. Oh, thanks. So check it out if you... <laughs> That's you awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now moving on to the Web3 work that you're doing, because yeah. I think it's it's so interesting. Like, obviously, so there's an NFT component, which we're obviously going to dive into, but just kind of stepping back and like the focus of this particular show outside the system is how we can use all these new tools to build better systems, not just, you know, look at number go up and like speculate on stuff. It's much more, the thing that's much more interesting to me is how we can build better systems. And so when I saw what you were doing, it was just so interesting to me. And so maybe you can just talk a little bit about, you know, from a high level, at least at the beginning, maybe even what an NFT is in general, how you got into the web three world and then what you've been doing. Okay, so my journey with all of this started about a year ago. I had been researching a lot about NFTs, but I didn't think about putting one out myself. Like, honestly, I wasn't seeing other artists that I would consider in the same category as me of like smaller independent artists doing NFTs. I was just like, oh, bi some big artists are doing this right now. And so I was researching a lot about it, but it wasn't until I came across the aspect of song ownership being unlocked through it that I started to get excited about it and wanting to experiment in that space. And there was one other experience that uh, it's actually one of my favorite things that I've built. So I, I made this with this company, Create OS, and they're deep in the music side. So like two of their co-founders are music managers. Uh, the one, Diuda, he manages Grimes. The other manager, John Tanners, manages Daytrip, Toby, Via Miller. And so they've seen what the music industry is like. I mean, they've been in it for years. And a friend had reached out and they were like, hey, these people want to create this tool that is for artists considering a label deal. And at first I thought, oh, okay, I'll take the conversation because it sounds interesting. And then I'll just find another designer to uh, connect them with because I was like, ah, I don't have the time for this. <laughs> um, but then I heard about what they wanted to build and I was like, all right, this is too cool. I need to do this. And so what it does is it takes a really complex deal structure 
and it finally lets artists see what it means just to break even. So you put in the details of your record deal and you see how many streams you need just to even produce $1. And I think a lot of times when artists sign a label deal, it feels like that's the end goal, like that's the success, but that's just the start of it. And this tool really breaks that down and it shows it to you in the numbers and it, you know, it takes a concept that lives in lots of legal docs and excitement and it shows you right in front of you how it pans out in the numbers. So is that tool available just for anyone it to is. go use or do you? Yeah, okay. I mean, even if you just Google record deal simulator, it'll pop up. I'll put it in the show notes yeah. uh, if anyone wants to go check it out. I'm curious how you could build a similar tool for publishing. Oh, we built one um, for publishing you know, had, too. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so That's first, awesome because I think yeah. that's a question a lot of people have, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and specifically publishing for music, but maybe it should be looked at again of, you know, extending beyond that use case of artists. Yeah, I taught, so I, I had one book that was published through a, a traditional publisher and it was so confusing to think of through like, okay, wh when will I actually make money on a book sale? Like how long will it take? And it, at that point, you know, how much will I make? Because it was different by, the royalty rate was different by form, like digital was different than hardcover, was different than audiobook, And there were just so many like clauses in there, right? That make it confusing. And so, yeah, I think even just for like, authors there could be an interesting tool like yeah. similar to that hmm. yeah that's cool and it helps you assess a deal quickly actually i met somebody last night and she told me that she had used the publishing tool to help her negotiate a deal which i had never met somebody before that you know like literally used it in their negotiation i'm sure other people have done it but it was a really cool moment <laughs> that's amazing yeah. that must feel so good too. it does yeah and I mean, just to give an example of this, to talk through what these numbers can look like. Okay, so let's say we've got a solo artist who is entitled to 20% of their royalties, which is pretty standard in a deal. And they've taken on a million dollar advance. You would then need 1.3 billion streams just to make $1. And so, you know, it, it sounds exciting, like, awesome, you're an artist that just got this label deal, you're getting a million dollar advance, like that sounds like a home run. But then you see what you actually need to bring in in streaming just to recoup that and make a dollar and it paints a different picture. And I think that's the really important piece that I've seen in this is that it's right in front of you. It finally makes it simple to break it down. Yeah, I think, and that's so, so part of maybe the promise of Web3, which is, I think I can see the evolution, but uh, part of the promise is it's the transparency, right? And that like, these are not terms that are kind of hidden behind tons of legal clauses. It's just sort of much more apparent to everybody in these contracts. I would say transparency, but also just the optionality of having a different pathway and using this tool and seeing how it actually looked for a bunch of artists and their label deals. I now see NFTs as this uh, this alternative pathway so that it could remove the traditional middleman. And so instead of getting capital from labels, you could look at getting capital from the people who are already streaming your music. So then that's more of a question of like, who's the best backer? Is it a label or is it a fan? What type of artist are you? And sometimes it actually might be a label. I mean, they can, you know, pour gasoline on the fire if they really love your music and 
want to put their team behind you, that's incredible. But there are a lot of risks with it. If you're not the favorite child after a year, what does that support from the label still look like when they're retaining 80%? Um, versus what does that look like if you can give your ownership to fans instead? And it doesn't always have to be ownership. That's probably a more detailed conversation we should get into. But just in general, the shift of you don't have to just rely on a label deal. There now are other pathways to it. Yeah. And a lot of people get confused when I like because I've had conversations about what you're doing just with people who are maybe not as well versed on Web3. So when I say NFT, people get confused. They're like, oh, is it like a profile picture for her fan club? Or like, what does that actually mean? The way I view it, it's just a vehicle to unlock things. And so in the case of what I've been doing, it's unlocking song ownership and experiences. And yeah, it is so much more than a profile photo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's just the use case that has gotten, I would say, the most uh, mainstream attention probably so far. But it's just scratching the surface of what it's capable of. So I'd love to, like, I think let's break down the NFTs that you created and, and also, yeah, and how it went. Because I know, you know, when we first started talking, you were just starting the experiment, I think, or you had just announced them or something like that. And, you know, now I know, or I saw that I think they all have owners and you kind of did a uh, retrospective of how it went and stuff on Twitter. So, yeah, just would love to kind of, let's dive into that journey. Yes. Okay. So, you know, made the record deal simulator was finally seeing that. NFTs could be this alternative pathway that sits alongside something like a label deal. And then I guess another piece that kind of helped on my journey. So uh, Dayuda, who is one of the co-founders of CreateOS that we made this tool through, he manages Grimes. There was one NFT project that I had jumped on that we were going to do for a Grimes drop. It didn't end up happening but it forced me to really understand NFTs more and playing more of a project management role in that. And then getting deeper into the music cases. And then I started seeing artists like Verite give up song ownership through an NFT. And that's when I was like, okay, that is an interesting angle of music that you can actually push within this space. Because like, I didn't want to create a, a coin of myself. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm not currency. <laughs> I'm like, that's also a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, I was like, pressure and perhaps illusions of grandeur. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm like, I'm not trying to be an asset class, but there are cool experiences that you can give people through this. And I think that's more of my design brain where it's always like, how do you give people the best experience possible in a product or delight them, uh, make things so easy they don't even realize that they're going through a technical product process. And so... A lot of the world of Web3 is still still a little clunky and the product side of it. And so that's also what's made me excited about pushing on some of it. Okay, so the first drop that I did, it was in November. I did a one-of-one drop, which I think if you're starting off, that's probably a good way of approaching it because, yeah, I had no idea if somebody would even buy one NFT from me. That's the scary part of putting out an NFT. You really put yourself out there and you're like, I don't know if this is going to resonate with anybody. But but yeah, so with this one, which by the way, I'll say for the NFTs that I've been doing, the question that I keep coming back to, and I think it's really helped me like have a framework with it, is I just first start with the question, what is a unique experience that I want to give somebody with this that's attached to my song? So then it's like, okay, what's a new way for someone to experience this song? 
I had a remix coming out and I thought if I could give someone ownership of this song, that would be so cool because right now you don't get to have a piece of a song unless you're an artist, collaborator, you know, writer, producer, manager. But if I give someone a piece of a song as a listener, how does that feel for them? Like they get to then be in that same boat as the artist and know the feeling before the song comes out and the first listen once it's actually on Spotify, which it it feels completely different. <laughs> like you could listen to your song hundreds of times, but then the first listen once it's actually out on the platforms always hits different. And seeing the responses of how people talk about it and post about it, like I wanted to pull someone into that. So not even really looking at this as like, you can look at NFTs as investments, but I was just like, I want to give someone a cool experience in this. And so that was what it started with. I gave 25% of the sound recording. So within a song, you have two pieces of it, the sound recording and the publishing. For this, I just broke off the sound recording. That is your streaming royalties, which this is a more detailed thing we can get into, but that's like the high level of it. And and yeah, so I listed this NFT. I worked with a friend of mine, Danny Jones, who is, I think he's the most talented 3D designer, especially that spans tech and like the more creative 3D world. We had worked together at Facebook. Right now he's working at Cash, uh, like Cash App through Square, well, now Block. And so of course I wanted to pull him in for this. And he made this really awesome liquid metallic render over the music video of the song um, for the remix, you know, NFT of it. Yeah, and then it was like, okay, we've got the asset ready and Doing your first drop, you learn all of this as you go. So it really is a, you feel like a product manager <laughs> when you're doing this, which I will say, I think there's a huge opportunity for people to become experts in Web3 and function as PMs for artists and other people trying to get involved with this. And yeah, so it was like, all right, we've got the asset ready. We have the song coming up for release. And then I was just figuring out what does this unlock? And so decided on 25% of the sound recording and put this out through Foundation, um, which I went with them because it's a really highly curated platform. Like I open up Foundation and I'm just inspired by what I see on there. So yeah, it felt like the right fit because of that. And then I would say Foundation isn't the go-to platform for music NFTs. So a lot of the narrative of this piece I just talked about on Twitter. And so Foundation was just the place where it happened. And then one extra thing that I did with this, which it was kind of an afterthought and it ended up driving more conversation than anything else, is that I created a really, it's like a comically simple contract that I linked to in the metadata and when I say I link to it in the metadata, like I literally put a Dropbox link there, which isn't great because I can always swap out that asset over time, but I'm just going to, of course, leave it. But technically it's on chain. <laughs> and so this contract, it breaks down the splits of it. And I wanted to do this because I, so I have a music lawyer because, you know, when you're getting started, as an artist, you figure out what you need. And someone's like, make sure you've got a lawyer. So I'm like, okay. And I used to loop him into everything that I was doing. But then you're like, and he's awesome, by the way. But for the stage that I'm at, 
financially it doesn't make sense because it's like if I'm paying somebody $400 an hour and I'm barely making money on streaming, do I need to loop them into every collaboration that I do when like you can also just clarify the terms of it in an email? You know, oftentimes if somebody sends over, like if I'm part of a collaboration and somebody sends over music, paperwork, uh, like legal paperwork, I read through it, but sometimes I will have to loop him in just to understand what it means. And so I think when you are now bringing somebody else into your song, you should make it as easy as possible for them to be part of that process. And so I didn't want it to feel like the current system of having to get, you know, like, I don't know, five or 10 pages of legal paperwork just to be like, yay, you now own 25% of the song that you just paid for. I wanted to just give a one pager, have it be as clear as possible, visualize what the splits look like, which it's like, I've never seen that done before. And I've always wanted that. Because even now, if I think back on some splits for songs, like I really have to dig that up. It would be so nice just to have it all be visual. <laughs> it's amazing that that isn't done. Right. Yeah. Like now that I'm sure it's so much better when it is visual. Yeah, exactly. And so it was like, how do I take what is the typical process and just make it as easy as possible? And so I had put out the NFT and then I think it was, I don't know, maybe around like 11 p.m. that I tweeted, what if all, if all music contracts were this simple and didn't require hiring a lawyer just to understand it? And then it quickly got a lot of attention and it got so much attention because it was polarizing. Half the people were like, you should hire a lawyer. This isn't a contract. <laughs> and the other half were like, this is really cool. This is the way it should be. And some people said it was the first case of seeing a Web3 thing that clicked for them. And I thought that was awesome. And so, yeah, it's like, well, lawyers love this. No, <laughs> but there's also no precedent. I didn't have to do this. I just thought it made the experience easier. And, and so, yeah, it's actually been really cool to see the conversation around it. And I love both sides of it. Like, I don't care if people critique it because it's a conversation around it. And I think the current system needs a lot of things pushed in this direction in any way uh, or anyway, you know. So it's like, even if this isn't it, I think it's somewhere in this path that we need to be going. And so then, so, yeah, that was the first drop, which I'll just pause there. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, so, so, so many questions around that. I saw that tweet and I, I think it was, it got really popular really quickly. Funny thing about polarizing is that seems to be what the Twitter algorithm yep, loves too. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's probably why that worked out that way. I remember, but I, think I even had a moment where I was like, oh my God, should I delete this? I was like, do I look like an absolute <laughs> idiot that's trying to like <laughs> fake being a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess so that brings up a couple of questions that I was thinking about. And maybe this was answered late. You know, this, you'll answer this later for the future drops or maybe the, I'm sure this came up as one of the objections that people had. So who enforces it if, let's say, for whatever reason, you're like, I don't feel like I want to swap out the contract that's in Dropbox, for example, or like, like, is it a legally enforceable document? Yeah, I'll just be honest. I, I really don't know. But if I hadn't done this there would have been nothing more legally enforcing anyway, you know? Yeah. And I would say there are things that I've signed uh, that are legally enforcing and I've never been paid for it. <laughs> mm, so it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. same. I, it's I'm, like uh, even if, yeah, same, same even here. if yeah. this contract <laughs> was, you know, 
10 pages and completely exhaustive and covered every single edge case that it could, I could still have a case where I don't pay people. So it's like, does it really matter if it's legally enforceable if, you know, you've got people not paying anyway? So you're speaking <laughs> my language now, because the next thing I was going to say is I wonder if the and this is just me, you know, making this up on the spot. But like, I wonder if the future of these types of contracts and maybe Web3 in general is the enforcement's not necessarily like you go to court and have like a legal enforcement. It's more like a reputational oh, yeah. like, enforcement. If I don't like if you know, yeah. if the song has been out for months, um, which by the way, so with royalties it normally they're like two months behind, it can be even more than that. So let's say we're at the point where like the royalties are finally coming in and I haven't paid you, then yeah, blast me on Twitter. Like let's have a conversation. Yep. And then but that also affects your ability to do future drops or do yeah. this again, right? So it's like the reputational risk is kind of where the enforcement is. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah I think so too. So then it's like, then the question of is it a legally enforceable contract kind of doesn't matter at that point because everyone can see what you had gotten them to agree to and what they agreed to. And if you're clearly not upholding those terms, then even if you can't get taken to court or it's not financially worth it to take you to court, it's like they can still blast you publicly and that'll affect your mm -hmm. reputation. I think the more interesting question in this, in this case specifically for music NFTs where you're giving up ownership is how do you just make it as easy as possible from the start that if you buy 25% of my sound recording that right after that it can be set up so that you're getting the royalties directly. So that's actually something that I'm doing through CreateOS which we were just talking about this yesterday because the royalties haven't yet hit for this most recent one. And so we're getting people set up on their wallets so that when they start coming in, it will be in their wallet. So by the way, quick background context on this. So with the music that I distribute, any artist, you go through a third-party distributor. So I've used TuneCore, DistroKid. It's this place where you upload the song and then it gets placed everywhere of, you know, Spotify, Apple, music, wherever you choose. And with the last few releases that I've done, I've done it through CreateOS. And so that is, uh, so it's through them. And then the distributor in this case is Foundation. So they are now connected to my distributor. So I am a different case in this and that they make my life a bit easier. <laughs> Um, and that, you know, the people that will be paying out the royalties are also directly connected to my distributor. But, you know, I think we need better tools in the system for all these artists to do the same thing that I'm now doing. And we're even figuring out the hiccups as I go through this, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's to your point about like being able to get that sort of aha moment quick as quickly as possible when they first buy that ownership. Yeah. I mean, tools like that are going to be are going to be big. One other question that I just thought of as you were saying the 25% ownership thing. So what happens if like I know you're independent, we talked about that, so you're you're not part of a label, but what happens if somebody buys your catalog at some point and someone owns the 25% ownership NFT? Would they get 25% of the proceeds of that song? How would you calculate the value? I guess these are maybe questions you'll probably cross when you get there. But I'm curious if that question came hmm. up at yeah, all. Yeah, nobody's asked uh, me that especially before. Especially with that tweet um, that you had. To be honest, I've never really entertained the idea of selling my catalog, probably because I've never had offers. 
<laughs> um, so I, yeah, I really don't know. Uh, but it would function the same way as, you know, if I've got a producer on a track and they have a split on it, this would function the same exact way. Like even today I had an email uh, from my licensing manager that he needed clearance on one of the songs to represent everyone's shares in this thing that he's pitching. So this is like, you know, pitching a song for placement in a, I think in this case it's a commercial. And so I looped in my first collector because they own a percent of that song, you know, and it was just like, hey, can I get clearance here to make sure that Mike can represent your share of the song here? Actually, I'm thinking from the fan perspective or whoever bought that 25%, that would be such a cool message yeah, to get. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's to your point about creating that, giving the like whoever bought that NFT the experience yeah. that you would get. I mean, it's exactly the same, right? You would have to give clearance and they would have yep, to give clearance. Yeah, exactly. And I, I have thought about this case more of like when you are giving up ownership of your song and what the contract should include in it. I do think one thing I'll probably do in the future is, um, you, you know, you give automatic clearance for a song if it's, you know, being pitched for something just because process-wise that will make it easier. But in this case, I'm like, I, I also thought I'd, just be cool for them to see this. I have been thinking about things where it's like, what is cool versus what is complicated and a headache? Like, I didn't register them for ASCAP, BMI. So it's like, on that level, like, they're not in the splits of the song. The reason I did that is I don't see a lot of money through that. And I can always do that accounting myself. Like, this definitely isn't a perfect method. I can acknowledge that. But Let's say we have a change in ownership because as an NFT, you can sell it. I have no idea how I would change that. Like, let's say I, you know, I do the splits of, so it's like on your publishing side, whoever you're represented by, whatever PRO, you know, so let's say BMI and let's say you own 25% of the song, then I would have to set you up or you would have to do it yourself of setting up a BMI account. That system is so outdated. I just will say that. <laughs> And, and yeah, so it's like, well, let's say in a few months, you then sell the NFT. So you no longer hold the 25%. Then, you know, it's like, well, on the splits, I've already entered that. Like, possibly I could write in and put in special requests. But I'm like, I don't even know if I've brought in uh, more than $100 for all my songs on, uh, on that side of it. So... I'm like it's it's not worth the headache from either you know collector or artist side. But if a song pops off and yeah, I would see a lot of royalties coming in through that side, then of course give it out. But like the streaming side is mainly where you would see it. Yeah. Also, there's no transparency into that. Like I can't even if I'm on a collaboration with somebody, I don't even know if they've entered in my splits or not. That seems like a tool that. Yeah, <laughs> there are some things being built in this world that I've seen uh, that are that would definitely help it out. Um, but yeah, so it's like that's definitely an imperfect part of that process. But the main chunk of what they're getting is, you know, the streaming side of it. Like that's which, by the way, I'll just be transparent. I don't make money on my music, but of the money that I see come in, it's streaming and sync deals don't happen often. But when they do then you make even more money than you're streaming. Although you got more popular on Spotify recently, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, actually, since doing stuff in Web3, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I actually don't know if that's played into it at all. Um, yeah. Like I got playlisted on uh, two different playlists in the last month and that has certainly helped. But why I got playlisted, I'm like, is it related to Web3 or was the music just something they liked? I don't know. So, okay. So yeah. you did the first NFT drop. Then, yeah. Then what um, happened? Okay. So first with that one, I got way more bids on it than I thought I would. I've got to say, I learned so much more in the 24 hours of doing it than months of researching the process. Like I had so many things click for me of, of how this system can work and like what it actually feels like to bring somebody into your art. I mean, it's exciting. And so, yeah, that was the first drop. And then I did a drop on Sound XYZ in February. And so have you checked out that platform? I, I did because I think you'd link to it. So, yep. Okay. But I'll, I'll put it in the show notes for people who haven't seen it yet. Awesome. Yeah. I'm a really big fan of that platform. I, I love what they're doing. This one was different than my last drop and that I didn't give up any song ownership, which I do think we should talk about this later because it's like this is a polarizing topic. And honestly, I'm still figuring out how I feel about it. I yeah, we'll get into that. But yeah, so with this one, it was for my song, Hold Me, and there were 25 NFTs of it. And I think the thing that sound does really well is they push on the community side of it. Um, so although you're getting no ownership split of the song, it feels special to own that NFT of the song. And so you see yourself in the audience, it's listed below the 25 collectors or how many additions they have. Um, you get to leave a comment on the song. And there's also a very strong secondary market for it because of the scarcity of just having X amount of additions. You can often flip them <laughs> on the secondary market, um, which I think there are some people that, you know, buy them just to flip them. Like you've got different buckets of people. You have some that just want to support the artist. Um, others that want to support the artist and think maybe it's a good investment. And then other people that just are trying to flip NFTs, um, which I feel like it's fine to have all of that. Of course, I would prefer just to have people that are really stoked about the music. And, and I actually want people to be able to flip my NFTs and make money. I feel like that would be awesome. Um, like I want to, I want to reward people um, and hopefully make my music more valuable to them. But yeah, so sound was the second drop. Um, and there's a listening party with it. So like you go on Twitter spaces, you talk about the song. Um, yeah, that was actually a really cool part of the process. It made it feel like other people were, were with me in the drop. Whereas on foundation, you know, it's just like you're alone in your apartment and you put up an NFT. But on sound, it's like everyone's there with you. It drops. It, it sells out in 30 seconds. Like I tried to buy one because I wanted to gift it to my boyfriend. Um, and I couldn't get one. <laughs> um, but that was kind of cool. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm not mad. <laughs> yeah, that probably felt good. Probably... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, which I think I'm going to do another drop with them in May, perhaps. I have no idea what I'm dropping, but it, but it is in the calendar. <laughs> would, it, would that have to be for a new song then or for? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and with sound, so that means there's some new music coming out. Oh too. yes, I've actually got an, a bunch of new stuff I'm working on with sound. I think 
most artists uh, drop things that haven't yet been put out on DSPs. And when I say DSPs, I just mean Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, you know, all the platforms. Yeah. And so then after that one, I did um, another drop in February. And this was for another remix um, that Autograph had done. And I was really excited to work with them because they've also been doing a lot of stuff in the world of Web3. And I've loved them for years, like back in the hype machine days. That's when I first discovered them. So yeah, I've been big fans of them for a while and had been wanting to work with them on something. And so it worked out with this remix. And, and yeah, so with this one, I wanted to go beyond the song ownership aspect of it. And the reason is because it's exciting to own a piece of the song, but it doesn't pay well. So this is where I have conflicts with it. I do feel like one of the most compelling cases of music NFTs is to extend your song ownership to listeners. Just based on the experience alone, like that is so fucking cool that you can bring the people that love your music into owning a piece of it. My hang up is that streaming doesn't pay well. And, and so I felt like I couldn't rely on the song ownership alone for feeling right. Which this relates to the larger conversation of what is a healthy music NFT? And this is what I've been thinking about a lot. Can it just be a waveform of the song that you have on catalog that is one of one that you sell for one ETH? And I go back and forth in my decision on this. Um, <laughs> like a few days ago, I, I would have told you. So yeah, what are the two okay, sides so to it? The big question is, is it right? I, I don't even know to say, is it right? But I feel like healthy is what I keep putting in terms of like, is it healthy to to put out a music NFT that doesn't unlock anything? Like everything that I've done has been most value, utility unlock, set, like even with sound, although it didn't unlock anything, I knew that people could sell it on the secondary market. I can actually make money. <laughs> um, not that that's the value of it, but there aren't secondary markets for all of these platforms. Like I've never seen somebody try to, um, you know, sell one of the NFTs that I've put on foundation, but that market just exists within sound. And so, and that one, it really leans into the community piece of it. And I do have some insight into how the product is being built and it, it pushes in the direction that I like. And even like one thing that I'm going to do next week is, uh, which spoiler <laughs> is uh, I'm going to give so for hold me the song that I put out through sound I'm going to give all of the NFT collectors the stems of the song because one thing I've been thinking about is that I want to keep rewarding the people that you know have owned NFTs of mine and so beyond that initial drop like what are things that I can keep surprising them with ongoing Easter eggs you know yeah and so even if you know, it doesn't give song ownership or access to experiences, you can actually still add some of that stuff in there, like giving people the stems of it, that's pushing into the utility of it. But yeah, there is this larger conversation of, is it okay to just put out music NFTs that don't unlock anything? And I would say it's okay. It's not what I would do though. So what's an example of one that doesn't unlock anything? Oh, so it would just be, I mean, often I'll see it on catalog where it's, it's just the song. But then I just can't make it make sense to me. Yep. And it's like, if I could listen to this song on Spotify, 
why would I pay one ETH for this song on catalog? I would bucket that as pure patron, that you just want to support this artist. And who knows, maybe there could be things unlocked with it because, you know, you own the NFT and maybe then they'll reach out and say like, hey, I want to do a one-on-one call. Thank you so much. And although that's not in the description of it, maybe it will lean into some of that stuff. But when I think about, at least for me, like what NFTs make me excited, I wouldn't do that because it just doesn't, doesn't feel like I'm giving people enough. And then I've had my own internal debates where I'm like, maybe I undervalue music. I mean, that might be the truth. Like, am I undervaluing music to think that it can't just exist as an NFT on its own for myself? Like, I'm, I'm cool if other people want to do it. I just can't make it make sense for me. And I wouldn't do it within my artist project. Yeah. So you always feel like there has to be something additional. Yeah. Is what well, because then I spiral. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, why does it have to be an NFT? What's the point of it? Like, the thing that makes NFTs cool in my perspective, is that it, it unlocks things. It's a vehicle to serve as, you know, unlocking access or unlocking song ownership or even just bringing people into your community. But isn't leaning into any of those aspects, then it doesn't check out for me of why it needs to exist. I will say, yeah. if you're uh, you a know, huge relates. artist, I can see it making more sense. Like Oni or, or you know, like Nas did a drop on Royal which he gave up song ownership in that. But let's imagine the use case of, you know, that he just put out a song. It didn't unlock anything. Like, if you're such a legend like that, yeah. It's cool just to own that NFT then. But as I think through this and I see other examples, I'm honestly just so conflicted about it because I'm like... So I had somebody challenge me the other night and I really appreciated this. She was like, I think you need to be in support of other artists putting out NFTs that don't unlock anything because they, at the end of the day, they need to just be focusing on their art. Like, are we holding the bar too high to think that every NFT needs to unlock something? And I mean, that resonates. I understand where she's coming from. So I think I'm just split on what I think the space should be and what I would do myself. Like, I do think that this, you know, the NFT music Web3 space should have NFTs that don't unlock anything if that's what people want to do. I just wouldn't do it for my project. Yeah. So there's a space for it, but it's not maybe not the best move for you or something that you would want to do. I guess to talk about why I wouldn't do it, it just wouldn't sit right. Like I'd feel like I'm scamming people and I don't know how to get over that. And maybe that's a self-confidence thing of thinking that, you know, my music or NFTs aren't worth a certain price point. But like if somebody I've thought through you know, the thought experiment of it, if I put out a song of mine that exists on Spotify, like there is the use case of just having a song live on catalog and nowhere else, which, which I do think that's kind of cool. But yeah, if I think through the use case of just putting up a song that doesn't unlock anything that people can listen to elsewhere, I would feel bad if people paid money for that. Yeah, I guess unless it was truly a patron type model where and maybe it's not just a patron model. Maybe it's like patron plus you get special access to something. Maybe you can hear hear songs a week before they. But then you go back to the utility thing. Yeah, that's utility. But then yeah, that's exactly. That's not just the yeah. But who knows? It's like maybe the artists that are doing this will lean into that anyway. But it's not known up front. Right. So the transparency part is not necessarily, or maybe it is transparent that you're you'll get nothing and then you'll be surprised when you get 
something. Yeah. Not nothing, but you'll just get yeah, the NFT. under promise, over deliver. Like, yeah. love that. But yeah, I mean, as I think about, like, just going back to the question of, well, what makes NFTs exciting and why does it need to be an NFT? I, it just doesn't check my box. But that's just me. And other people can do whatever they want. Yeah, and maybe the different things work for different fan bases too. It's, well, because yeah. then it's like, if you want to support someone, like you can just Venmo them. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah that's or, you know, have a Patreon. But but yeah, so this is a, a debate that's been happening a lot within music NFTs. And this is also the product side of me where my brain is trained to see why things won't work. And when I see that, I'm like, it, it doesn't work. Long term, I, I just don't see how it works. Unless they lean into the things of, you know, giving utility after the fact, bringing them into the community. But that's not established out front that that is the precedent. Um, who are some other artists or other projects that you've seen do utility NFTs while in music? Um, oh, actually, Autograph has been doing some connected to their live shows that I thought have been pretty cool that, you know, by owning an NFT of theirs um, that you get, I think it's like uh, VIP tickets, drink tickets, you know, like, what that experience connects to in person, I think is an interesting angle to push with it because I do also want to see more of this like from the world of just being on your computer to IRL, uh, how NFTs can extend. Um, so I think the use case of, yeah, bringing, bringing people into your live shows and giving them special experiences is cool. That's a really cool use case. Yeah, I think, I hope we see more of that. Okay, so as we start to wrap up there's one thing i did want to also call attention to which i'll definitely put in the show notes is you have this how to get set up document on dropbox paper which i found and i thought it was pretty good so is that basically you're trying to help artists think about how to go about doing this or and is there you know product coming out or how are you thinking about that part moving oh, forward yeah um okay so i did that one for my first drop you know if you haven't been in the world of crypto, there's a lot just to um, get set up with to either put out your NFT or collect one. And so whenever I was getting my first NFT ready, I just documented my process with everything of getting set up, um, you know, with MetaMask and specifically foundation in this doc. And so I was like, yeah, I'm just going to put this into a, a paper doc and then share it out. So if anybody else wants that onboarding, they can have it which I felt a responsibility to educate people about some of this stuff by stepping into the, the world of doing it, specifically about things like security, which I'm by no means a security expert. I have enough, well, I was thinking about the times my phone has been stolen and like, you know, up-leveling every security aspect of my life. Um, I have some baseline knowledge. But anyway, including information about that of like, what is a seed phrase? What are some things that you should know about this? Um, and I tried to just boil it down to the most essential information that if you're getting set up, yeah, it's like, what are the things that you absolutely need to know? Which I think probably I should keep building that list, um, you know, even as I drop on other platforms of like how to then get set up with those platforms. But for now, I think it's been helpful for people. And also if anybody's listening to this and wants more things covered, uh, let me know. Um, the other thing that I'm working on right now, which I will say, so I'm not actively working on an NFT drop. Like I know I will have one in May that I need to start thinking about sometime soon. But at the moment, 
like I'm not compelled to do another drop because I don't have a concept that I'm excited about, which I only want to really push on it when I do have something. And in this last drop, I used up everything I was excited about, <laughs> which was coupling song ownership with experiences. And by the way, I feel like I should mention this because I, I haven't talked about this and I wish that I could hear more perspectives on this. The reason that I extended it more into the experiences is because song ownership doesn't always pay out well. And so even in the first drop that I did, it sold for 2.2 ETH. I love the song. It's a hyperpop remix, but I can acknowledge my sound is not hyperpop. I think remixes are fun and that you can push it beyond your sound. Um, but then if we look at it streaming wise, it hasn't streamed incredibly well. And I felt bad that they paid 2.2 ETH for it. So then in the next drop, I gave them a surprise 10% of the song, uh, which that one's been streaming very well. Like even the person who owns 25% of it in the first month, I know he's made at least $127. And so I actually hope that over time I can make those people money <laughs> from what they've paid in the ownership. Like that would be a win for me. But but yeah, so I I wanted to push it beyond the song ownership aspect. Like I kept that because I'm still excited about experimenting with that idea. But I felt bad in how the streaming can sometimes pan out. So I felt like, okay, I'm going to head to that bet with the experience of it. And the three experiences that I was excited about exploring were... Uh, the song experience, so giving people stems, well, in this case, one person, the stems of the song, the ability to remix it and put it out on SoundCloud and YouTube if they wanted. Um, the second one was access to my data, which like, I'm a huge data nerd. I started a course at Facebook called Designing with Data that every new designer goes through. Um, like, I would get very detailed <laughs> in all the data that I work with, but I love that side of it. And so with that, you know, did a Zoom call, walk them through all my data, and then I'm going to give them reports um, as it goes on of like, how's it streaming? What kinds of playlists is it getting added to? Um, where is it streaming? How does, what do the demographics look like? Basically anything that seems interesting about it. Um, and then the third one is called the future experience, which I'm figuring out how this is going to pan out, but giving them the ability to be part of a future song, whether that's like a voice memo that they send over that I include in the song in some way, um, or cover our inspiration. And so JD uh, from Royal is the one that owns that. So we're going to figure out what that's like. Um, and I thanked him <laughs> after he got in. He was like, you won't be thanking me when my face is the cover art of your next song, <laughs> which I feel like if that works out, that's kind of cool. <laughs> but yeah, so... Gosh, I don't even remember where I was going with that. But I just wanted to make it clear that on the song ownership side, it is really cool as an experience to push on. But I do feel like long term, the model of NFTs that we'll see that are probably most interesting will be combinations of it, where it's maybe a little bit of song ownership and some experiences coupled with it. As an independent artist, does this help you almost like this is a source of capital, right? As you because you have to pay for studio time and and a bunch of other things. Is this sort of like you're being, I mean, it's kind of, you mentioned it at the beginning, are you being supported by fans rather than, or fans are supporters of some sort. I, as you said, there's different categories um, of people, but they're supporting you rather than let's say yeah. a label funding everything. Um, it's kind of a complicated answer. It's like, yes, it, it does support me. Um, it more so lets me bring in more collaborators that I can pay. 
At some point, I need to sit down and do the accounting of it. I don't know that I've actually made money off of NFTs. Like I know specifically with my last one, I'm, I'm still in the hole for that project specifically. But there's a lot that goes into it. You know, it's like you've got a producer fee and then mixing and mastering. And then I give a percent to my friend that does uh, like for all the collaborators in it, especially the friend that does the visual art of it. And then foundation takes 15%. So it, it actually doesn't end up being as much. But I have not been approaching this through the lens of being business savvy. And I think if I did, I could do a much better job. And this is probably just a longer conversation, but I, I don't see music as a way for me to really make money. And for listeners, like, yeah, I do design. That has always been what's sustained me financially. And so even if I had to figure out like, okay, how do I get budget together for a next project? I'd probably take on a quick design project before I put out an NFT one. But the experiences of what you can do with NFTs and what you can give people through that, I'm still just really fascinated by. So yeah, I'll keep pushing on it. But, but yeah, I guess to better answer the question, um, I've not done a great job of treating this as like a pure funding uh, vehicle. But absolutely, it can be that for other people. Got it. So, okay, last two last two questions. I know we're over the time we had talked about. But uh, so if, if you were an artist listening to this, right, and you're like, hey, this sounds really interesting. I hadn't thought about this before. It can seem really overwhelming, like this whole Web3 world, if you're on the outside. How can someone get started? Obviously, you have the how to get set up document, which is a good starting point, in my opinion. But what other resources or or things have you found to be helpful in your journey? Okay, so I'd say first, the place you need to live is Twitter. <laughs> um, like definitely for your mental health, limit the amount of time. But Twitter spaces, like just joining as many NFT conversations as you can about that. I would also just message people. Like very often people re- will respond to you. I respond to every message I get. Not always in a timely manner. I will normally <laughs> like take a Sunday where I'll finally respond to things, but that's mainly because I'm more introverted and I can't always respond to things instantly, like energy-wise, you know. But yeah, I would say message people and have specific asks. And I think by asking people for advice, they honestly become more invested in your journey. Like people that have reached out to me you know, even like I've given them an invite to Foundation, uh, you know, one of the platforms to to drop an NFT on. And and it just puts it on my radar of somebody else making NFTs and experimenting with the space. And in general, people are really supportive. I know looking at Twitter, it can kind of seem like a polarizing world. It's like either 100% good morning music NFTs or like NFTs are destroying the world and artists are selling out and yeah. Um, (laughs) But there are people that exist more in the middle. I would call myself one of them. Um, Like I'm skeptical and excited about the space and I think that's the view I want to maintain because I do think it's healthiest. Um, But yeah, like if you don't find yourself on either end of that extreme and you're trying to just learn more about the space, there are other people like you. It's just the algorithm doesn't always show you that because it's it's not as uh, engagement baiting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, you have to go look yeah. for it. But yeah, so I'd say like uh, try to join in as many Twitter spaces as you can. There are a lot of interesting discords to join. Uh, it can become very overwhelming. 
and try to find a few people that you can just have one-on-one -on -one conversations with about the space. Maybe just think about one question that you want to reach out to people, like one person, um, you know, per person. Like, what's one thing that you really want to learn from them? And even just like sharing things. I mean, I remember this is more from the design side, but when I was getting started with design, like self-taught and trying to find my design community. And oftentimes, like I would post about an interesting interview that I had listened to or you know, read from somebody and you at them and you thank them and you're also sharing their knowledge to your audience and and you learn you, you know you meet those people over time and that's also a good way to to form more connections like as you're learning about the space it's okay to share everything that you're learning with it because there are a lot of people that are in that same boat like nobody's an expert here everybody's still figuring it out yeah yeah, and the people who created those uh, materials or whatever you're learning from, they really appreciate hearing that feedback too, like if you found it really helpful. Cool, and then my last question is more for people like me who are just like listeners or fans, like what's a good way for them to get involved in this? Like uh, you mentioned a few platforms that they can check out, um, but maybe just repeat those here or if there's any others that, that listeners should have on their radar if they're interested in getting involved, maybe in buying one of these NFTs. Okay, so I'd say follow Cooper, Koopa Troopa on Twitter. He's got a good music NFT newsletter that he just started. So I'd, I'd read everything in that every week. I think that's a good compilation of resources of what happens in the week. Yeah, I would, I would check out platforms like Sound. They have listening parties before every drop. I think that's a really great place to just tune into that and then be present with everybody else you know, as it's happening kind of a cool experience and just follow other artists that you see getting into the space like whether it's um, Verite or RAC I mean I've learned a lot through artists like that I mean Verite has helped me a lot even when I was getting started with my drops she was very supportive and pulled me into Twitter spaces and I've learned a ton through her so yeah I think finding these other artists that you like and that are experimenting with the space and just seeing what they're doing yeah that's awesome. Uh, this was such a fun conversation. Yeah. I feel like I learned and I, I did a decent amount of research before this conversation because I'm not in the music space or the NFT yeah. space, really. That's okay. Uh, besides That's being probably on the better. Outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I did a bunch of research and I feel like I just walked away like knowing so much more. So thank you for coming on. Would love to have you on in a, maybe a few months again, once you've done a couple more of these uh, upcoming drops that you hinted at. But yeah, this was Ooh, this Can was I great. plug one thing? Please do. Okay, so, so right now I'm not working on any drops, but I am working on the contract tool. Um, so because there was such a strong reaction around that, uh, and people kept asking me, they're like, what platform made this contract? And I'm like, I literally just designed this in Figma. Um, but right now I'm working with CreateOS to make it into a tool so that any artist can create a contract just like the one I designed. So if you are an artist, or even if you're not and you want some use case around that, I would say just DM me on Twitter. Uh, right now I'm making custom contracts for people while the tool is still in beta. Um, so, you know, I'll give you a very lovely design contract for your NFT. So then you can link to it in the metadata and just clarify what the rights are of that NFT. You know, if it's unlocking anything, if you're giving any splits, basically whatever you would want laid out visually, like, and as simple as possible to understand terms, I'll make that for you for free, of course. That That's amazing. So I'm going to put all these links in the show notes 
I know we talked about a, a lot of different tools and platforms and things like that. And so I'm going to just put links. Obviously, I'll put Lyra's Twitter in there as well. Um, so you can reach out to her there. But yeah, this was so good. Yeah. And feel free to message me. Yeah. She's really responsive on Twitter. For anybody She's really listening. responsive on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Twitter much more than Insta. I don't know. I've, I've not. I've neglected those messages. <laughs> uh, well, Twitter is just for this space in particular, too. It's just like the place to be. It's just. Yeah, I, exactly. I don't know yeah. how it evolved to be that way, but that is for sure the platform to be on for Web3. And I would say if you're intimidated by the space of Web3, people are much more friendly and inviting than you think. Like It's been a space of really curious, kind people, and I've appreciated that. Yeah, I, that's been my experience as well. Um, but yeah, this was this is awesome, Lyra. Um, thank you. I guess we'll, <laughs> we'll see you again at some point. Yes. Uh, but thank you again for coming on. And for everyone listening, check out the show notes. Lots of really good stuff in there. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Outside the System. If you found the episode valuable, you can go to Fountain or any other podcast 2.0 enabled player and leave us some sets. You can also leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's also really helpful if you share the episode on social media or with your friends, and also just tell people about the show, make sure they subscribe. It's all really helpful and spread the word. You can reach out to me anytime with feedback at the Real Neil S on Twitter. See you guys next time.